We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Guys! It's not a celebration. We, look, we may get into all the nitty gritty of the, you know, gravity and all this stuff, but I got the bottle of wine out. It is a celebratory evening. We have moved to the next era of Lakers basketball, whatever that may be. Who knows if it's good or not? I just know it's the next one. And it's a callback to an old one, Darius. I remember, let's take the time machine back to 2016. When you and I started this podcast at, uh, I think the, I think at the end of that year, and we'd record it once, once a week for free. And a lot of the times we'd be talking about the one and only D'Angelo Russell. Oh yes, we would. And his growth and all the baby Lakers, Josh Hart got traded today too, you know, just baby Lakers flying around for future firsts. And who knows where this is going, man, but of all people, D'Angelo Russell is a Laker again. How you feeling, man? The prodigal son returns. The prodigal son returns. The original lottery pick. That was Julius. Not Julius. The original one. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. The so the fun so the funny thing about Julius is the <laughs> the Lakers. They sort of unabashedly remember their pick was like top eight. Oh yeah, those those lotteries were insane, man. Where it was like we shouldn't have kept that oh, pick. Yeah. So all of those picks had these random protections on them, and the Lakers just continued to find ways to just snuck in keep right their underneath. And so yeah. wasn't it because like at the end it was like top four protected? And wasn't it the yeah. Ingram pick jumped in from like it yeah, should have like been that was like the year six? we were going to lose I it? Think, it was like, like, ah, that sucks, but you know. And suddenly they got B.I. Shout out to B.I. He kicked the Lakers butts on Saturday, which is maybe one of the reasons why the Lakers now have D'Angelo Russell back, because the Lakers keep losing these games that, that you expect them to win. So here's the thing is you're celebrating not because the Lakers got D'Angelo Russell back. It's part of it. I'm super intrigued. The by great D'Lo Joey coming Ramirez, back. I thought, put this perfectly. D'Lo coming back. So I always... I always talk about how the Lakers are my favorite novella. I love novellas and just all the ridiculous plot twists. I just want it. I want it all. Like the the more absurd and out there yes. and intricate, the better. Like make me gasp, right? And D'Lo coming back, Joey said, was like you watching one of them shows and one of the characters from a few seasons ago like rings the doorbell and you open the door and everyone gasps and that's the end of the show, right? Like that's the cliffhanger. That's D'Angelo Russell coming yes. back to the Lakers. And so, Mike, you know D'Lo well, I'm assuming, because you covered him up close and personal. So this is where having Mike Trudell. How lucky are we? Lakers sideline On reporter, our little podcast. The guy who... How many, how many post gamers, how many walk-offs did Trudell do where D'Lo was the walk-off guy, right? Not a lot mm -hmm. of wins, 
during those seasons, but when they did win, it was going to be mm-hmm. one of those two or three lottery guys and normally the high scoring guy. So it was probably going to be Randall or D'Lo, right? <laughs> Maybe Nick Young during one of those games. But D'Lo, Mike, he's a full circle guy to me. Like we talked about offline a lot in the lead up to the Rui trade about the potential that like the Lakers might get a different former Laker back, right? Another Washington wizard. And it's funny that you made the novella comp, Pete, because a lot of times I look at these young Lakers guys who came up in this era where they didn't necessarily get to do all of Mm -hmm. the things that lottery picks might do. Now, D'Lo was a different example because he actually did play on bad teams and he got a lot of usage, but he also played at the end of Kobe's Mm -hmm. career where Mm -hmm. there was like a different sort of feel around the team. So I often look at these young Lakers and they go to other teams and they play and they go to finishing school. I like to call it, right? Because they get the sort of reps under a less bright spotlight in environments where they get to sort of grow into whatever player that they actually are supposed to be in their NBA career that isn't necessarily the Lakers. And I think that's happened for D'Lo some too. And so Mike, what do you think about D'Lo as the current player, but also like what do you remember from him covering him up close and personal as a former guy where you got to talk with this dude in his formative years as an NBA player? Well, and also, Mike, I just want to hear your thoughts on the trade, too. Like the big night. Yeah, let me reject the screen on zooming in on D'Lo for a second because sure. I want to try to. Set yeah, the... yeah. We'll, we'll do that later. D. I appreciate the, the sentiment. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to set try to set the larger mm-hmm. context of this because this is a huge trade. It represents a total directional shift uh, in not just for this year, but in what next year's team is going to be. It it brings along two players, Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley, who played with D'Lo in Minnesota and Patrick Beverly. And they had their best season in recent memory. And with Russell Westbrook going out and then the couple players that also go back in the deal, including Damian Jones, who had a player option for next year, mm-hmm. which to me is significant to be to not have to essentially take him onto the roster next season, um, even if it ends up being just an additional vet min slot. And, you know, JTA, who I, I really liked a lot personally, and, and in fact, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because I never got to sit down and, and do the full life story with him. I think he's got a great story. Uh, he goes out as well. And from a roster standpoint, I think we all agreed that it's still a little different in terms of the guard balance with the front court balance. And and so whether there's another move that has to happen or just the rotation has to be a little different, that's one thing, but it just, to me, it's overall, all things considered. And and this is including with the pick going out. um, It is a good deal. And it's something that I think the Lakers basically had to do to, in terms of the chemistry and the, just the way that things were evolving on the team and in the locker room and yes, on the court, all of that together to me is, is how it came together. We can get into all that. And as those details start to come out, but it's a plus. And I think it gives the Lakers a better shot of doing something this year. And it sets them up to, to have a better chat, a better chance of doing a variety of different things in the off season. Uh, Whereas had they just kind of kept Westbrook on the roster and, and, You guys can explain that. Um, I know Darius has has spent some time um, on that as to kind of the what the structure of the team would be and what they could afford to bring in salary cap space wise versus having some contracts to deal with, et cetera. So I'm I'm not skirting the question about Russell, uh, but he is he is one piece out of the entire thing. and, And we'll definitely get into all that. Yeah, that's the fact that this checks a lot of different boxes is one of the things that stands out to me. I think that if you look at this trade deadline in totality between between Russell and Vanderbilt, Rui and Beasley, those are all guys 26, 27 and under that are, I think, different degrees of role players that are helpful in terms of building out toward the next few years. And that was one of the things we talked about, D, about one of the things we wanted at this deadline is that the way things were shaking out is that you kind of needed to build the team for next year too. Right now, this is one of the best opportunities to be able to do that. And so to get all those guys while only giving up a first round pick 
that is top four protected, which really like when you talk about protections to me, that's the kind of guy I don't want to miss out on is somebody who's like, yeah, that's a top three, top four guy. If once you start getting past that, it's not a crapshoot and you definitely want, you know, the seventh pick more than you want the 27th pick. I don't want to say that, but the distance is not as far as you might think. And the guys that you really regret are like, oh, like everybody knows that guy's going to be good. And those guys usually go top three. So I love the protection on that. And just that we only gave up one first and we got kind of this group D of young or youngish guys that br- bring a variety of different skills to the table. I think the front office has done a really good job of, of kind of setting us up for not just this year, but the next one. Yeah, Mike, this is a situation where if you bring in the Rui trade with this, they basically reversed the rust trade, basically, with with what they did. It's different types of players. It's different salary slots. But they brought back in a hand like three, four role players when you when you go back to the Rui trade as well. And they like Rui is. Right now, he makes six million dollars, but he could be up to like I don't know a ten or fifteen million dollar player next year. Russell is an expiring contract, but he's coming off of the uh, what Brian Windhorse affectionately calls the <laughs> fun max, which is the max that you give players. That's only twenty five percent of the salary cap versus like the thirty or thirty five or or the super max level contract that that you end up having to give to players so he's making like 31 million dollars this year and we'll see what his market is like next year beasley's another one of those contracts it's in the like 15 16 million dollar range next season and vanderbilt is on a value con team option contract yes And, and beasley and vanderbilt are both on team options next year but for both of those guys combined under 20 million because vanderbilt is um or around 20 million because vanderbilt's at under five. I Last think. I looked, 4. Vanderbilt 8. was was guaranteed, but that's you know it's such a good number that you know you want it to be guaranteed. But e- either way, yeah. Yes, you're right. You're right. Thanks for correcting me there, Mike. So they've in some ways undone the rust trade. They have decided that we're going to break up a monster salary and divide it up into multiple players who can be anywhere from. A potential high-level contributor, D'Angelo Russell's made an all-star team in this league. He is a good offensive mm-hmm. player, and when we start to break his game down a little bit more, he's definitely the crown jewel of this trade. But Beasley's an interesting scorer, and he is a guy who I think could have helped a lot of different teams as a scoring option. And Vanderbilt is just one of those dudes that I know we all love. He's an archetype of a player where in the past offline, I've basically said that he's like a Wenyon Gabriel type, but just better than Wenyon. D, I kind of view him as a tandem with Rui in an offense defense kind of way. You know, like Rui's more of an offensive yes. guy, but Vanderbilt's more of a defensive guy, but they're of the same size. Yeah, they're interesting players. But Vanderbilt, the thing I think about when I think about Vanderbilt is how often he was crashing weak side against last year's Lakers and just seemingly grabbing every offensive rebound. Like just that sort of live body that knows how to get to the glass, plays with a high motor. He started shooting threes this year, not a lot of them, but Mm -hmm. he's hit like Mm -hmm. 33% of 57 threes. So he's 19 for 57, just sort of a spot up guy that you space to to the corner. And Chris Mm -hmm. Finch out in Minnesota was like, shoot that shot right and then then that's continued in utah so it's it's interesting that i just think that this is a deal that the lakers had to make i feel like if this was in front of them this was a great deal and we haven't even gotten to like the what it means to lose russ which i don't even know how how much you guys want to even get into that aspect of things now maybe that will be after the break but it's just i'm energized Yeah. Well, that's how we ended the pod that we recorded this morning was that, you know, there needs to be that infusion of energy, Mike. Like all of a sudden things had gotten started to go very south in terms of energy. And we saw some of that kind of pour through on uh, in the game against OKC. And so I'm curious your thoughts on, on that, Mike, like just the what do you think the impact this has on the team, not just like on the court in terms of skill sets and things like that, but just the mentality of the squad. 
Yeah, I think that that's part of the reason and a big part of the reason why this is a net plus overall and that something like that had to happen. And it's now it's now it's a little bit more about the basketball fit. And I think, you know, we may we'll see. We'll see if there's another conversation that we have after the trade deadline. Like, we'll see if the Lakers do one other thing at that point. Once the roster is settled, Mm -hmm. then, you know, then you can really hash out. All right. What's the rotation going to be? Who should be playing when? Like with the current team with just with the guys that go out and with the three that come in it's it's certainly more of an offensive team in the sense that just that's that's the way like D'Lo and and Beasley are both offensive players and Russell's been a little better on defense this year but he's Mm -hmm. still like his overall he's a he's a minus um 1.6 net rating on, on a weird team with weird fits and Towns has been out and Gobert's been in and out and Edwards has taken over some He's been shooting the basketball really well. He's had his best shooting season, but he doesn't he doesn't do some of the things right that you want next to LeBron and AD in terms of being a big athlete mm-hmm. and just motor and all that kind of stuff. But he does fill the skill package stuff that we had talked about in, in a lesser version, certainly. But like the stuff that Kyrie does at the very high end of the spectrum, although he does mm-hmm. get into the paint more and finish at the rim and all that. But like Russell you know, Russell does some of that stuff that I'd, I'm curious to have Pete talk about a little bit because I know that's the kind of guard that um, that is appealing to you in many ways. And and then Beasley, you know, the Lakers have they have some shooting, but he is he is just a no conscious type of shooter that the defense is going to have to react to. And on certain nights, he's not going to hit any on the other nights. He's going to hit seven. Uh, and that's interesting. And I think he's going to be motivated too to have his best month. The guy that I think is is super playable right away is Vanderbilt uh, and in just kind of in the way that thinking about how a, a guy that could play next to Anthony Davis and provide some of that energy with AD uh, instead of having it be like AD and four guards you know he's a guy that can take a lot of that dirty work off of the table mm-hmm. for you and you don't need him to score uh, much at all especially if AD's out there ex- except for putbacks and stuff so those are all things that we'll need to break down individually but the spirit element that uh, that these guys bring that's never been what Russell has been known for, uh, like it, in the way that Mike Conley going to Minnesota. Maybe he's a player that can better help mm-hmm. them as a collective, as a leader and setting the, the tone spirit wise. But I don't think they necessarily need that from from Russell, provided that he just uses that skill, especially on offense. And and I do think that Vanderbilt and Beasley um, bring that energy in a good way um, and in a way that can that can help on the floor. And that sort of can just settle what the rest of the roster is in terms of we're not talking about emotionally, but like slotting it um, in in a certain way. So all of that stuff is significant. And, you know, I, I maybe after the break, uh, do you want to want you pick one thing, um, the, the most key portion of this? And we can really dig deep uh, into this big time trade that the Lakers just made. Let's do it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we're going to have plenty of time to zero in on all of these guys' individual games. And I think that it's such a shift like we've been pining for that skill guard in particular like you said d he's the crown jewel of the trade and we've been pining for that alongside lebron and ad in a way that i'm super curious to see how it actually looks and we're gonna get into that and and break that down in a bit i want to stay lingering kind of on the 
the trade aspects of this and the front office management of that because we're not going to linger on that as long. We'll talk about the the on-court fit much more going forward. And the there was this notion that the Lakers would have to trade a first round pick just to get rid of Russell Westbrook. Like just the the act of trading him off of your team was worth a first round pick to the Lakers, which like just like the Kyrie has no market conversation was completely conjured and like fantasy. Like of course a Hall of Fame fame talent point guard has a market. Of course, an, a big expiring contract is something that's an asset in the NBA. There's never been a, a point in NBA history where a big expiring contract required extra compensation to get off of. That's an asset. That's actually one of the things about the the Russ trade that I thought was underrated in that having an expiring contract like that, when you see every trade deadline, last year it was Portland, I believe with uh, Jeremy Grant, Helping teams get off money is actually very helpful, and you can get good players back. And so that ability to undo a trade, as you mentioned with the Russ trade, is something that this accomplishes. And so I'm curious about like the asset management side of this, because that's something that you track pretty closely. And just your, your thoughts on that. Well, it's interesting to me because – so everything that you said is true, but one of the pieces of that equation, the Russ equation especially, is – Russ isn't a normal expiring contract. So Russ makes a, yeah, he's a, Russ makes a ton of money. And so the Lakers, as the team that is purporting to bring money back, weren't going to take on three more years of super bad money from some other team either. And so Russ isn't your typical like, oh, he makes $25 million. And so, yeah, sure, I'll take your future guy who's owed $45 million for two more seasons, right? Because he makes 22 this year and 23 the next year. And here's my $25 million. And there's your sort of get out of jail free card for one season, right? And so Russ makes so much money that the idea of being patient, I think, Mike, was actually helpful in this regard. So one of the ideas that I saw floating around Mm. earlier is we're not going to get into a bunch of speculation about who's going to go for what or small market versus big market or anything like that. But one of the ideas that I thought was interesting, and it was an idea that I saw going around today, was just like, why are people bringing up that Russ is only owed $19 million? He's not owed $19 million. He's owed $47 million. Well, it's just like, actually, this is the part... Well. His cap number is $47 million, but what someone right. actually has to pay at this point of the season right. is that much less. And this was the point in time where at the beginning of the season, when you might make a trade with small market team Y, who is in a state that has Hoosiers in it. And you might say like, okay, well, let's make this trade before the beginning of the season. At that point, trading Russell Westbrook, Pete, might have cost a first round pick just to get off that yep. money. Because the team, then you have to pay that 47. Because yep. they actually have to pay someone $47 million. And if you don't see this guy as a part of your team, he is a negative asset at that point. Because you actually have to pay him nearly $50 million to not play for you at all. There, As part of the reporting around this, well, this trade, there's already speculation that Russ is going to potentially get bought out by, mm-hmm. well, by Utah. And so, Mike, that's the part of the asset management stuff that is interesting to me. It's not just everything that Pete was saying around expiring deals and those have value. Those do have value, but that value is shifting in this current NBA culture where contracts are shorter and guys are on three and four year deals. Whereas Pete, like in the past, a guy might have had like six years left on a contract or five years left on 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 a contract. And so that's true. And so contracts are. I'm I'm interested to see where where this goes but in in this specific example I think that the idea of patience which is not something we thought the Lakers had a lot of luxury 
to have, and maybe they didn't mm-hmm. actually when you look at their record and how everything is gone, that sure. that they did leverage this, I think, the best that they could down to the last minute. Yeah, so this will be interesting because I don't know if I'm quite where you guys are uh, on this one. So, I mean, the Lakers are the team that had to give up the first round pick, right, uh, in in this deal. And mm-hmm. I think – so take out the three-team part of it because the three-team the three team part of it to me was more, you know, maybe the Lakers preferred D'Angelo Russell to Mike Conley um, as, as somebody that would mm-hmm. potentially have some more upside or could be viewed a certain way around the league. Maybe teams view Conley, who is still owed 20-plus million next year and has struggled some in playoff settings, you know, as – as less of like a plus contract and, and not necessarily even a neutral one um, based on, on, on some of that. I think he's played pretty well this year. And, and part of that has to do with usage that that's for a different conversation, but like at the beginning of the season, there was, we had the, all the discussions about what it will cost to trade Russell Westbrook. And it's like, well, at least one first just, just to have him be on this team. And then if you want any kind of players back another one. And to me in this one, Utah, who was always wanting to go this direction, and Danny Ainge wants to get at least somewhat close, approximate to the Wenbanyama sweepstakes or or something along along those lines. And you know, Conley is not part of the long term future there. Beasley not part of the long term future there. And then Vanderbilt, they've got a loaded front court with Markinen and and Kessler, uh, and Olenek is still there. And, and so he was already kind of being marginalized in terms of what, what the, what they were going to do. So for them to, to get the first in, in exchange for basically, you know, having Westbrook and especially if they're going to buy out, like that still is a, even though I think the Lakers did great to protect it in the top four, as Pete outlined earlier in the pod, you know, that to me is still like a significant portion that shows you what, what that market was out there for Russell Westbrook or, or sort of lack thereof. See, I think that the first is traded for the players that you get back. Like there is no, to me, compensation that's given out for giving out Russell Westbrook. Like the first is traded because we get back D'Angelo Russell and Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. And so that is what the, the compensation is for. So one little bit of added value, though, that we give to Utah in something like this is Mike Conley is on the books for next year. Malik Beasley is on the books for next year. Vanderbilt is expiring. But being able to clear their books, especially at a place where Utah is and knowing how freaking Danny Ainge operates, he's going to hoard picks and whatnot, that gives them the opportunity to this summer be a team that's way below the cap. And even going into this year, which those are always the teams that find a way to accrue picks because they can absorb a salary and they can, you know, get a guy onto their team in exchange for future assets. And so, that's a value that the Lakers provided in providing a, an expiring contract. And so that's the thing about the whole, like, Russ is going to cost a pick to trade. He didn't. We traded a first round pick because we got players back, not just on the basis of getting rid of him. And we provided a value to Utah as well, D, on they don't have to pay Mike Conley next season. They don't have to have Beasley on the books. These are it it helps them in marginal ways as well where I've just never understood why an expiring contract like it's not about the player. It could be Russell Westbrook or anybody else, but those type of guys are never a negative asset at the very least. Yeah, this is where it's just like we can go back to the Lakers tax, the idea of a Lakers tax. We didn't hit this when we talked about the Kyrie trade because it, it didn't actually come up during our conversation. But there were reports that it was in maybe interest of Nets ownership to not trade Kyrie to his first preferred choice, which was Right. He was Lakers. like, this dude's trying to muscle me. Yes. And, and go to the Lakers. And, yeah. And, and and so how true or not true that is or isn't, I'm, I'm sure that there's there's levels to it all, right? All things being equal. And we talked about how with the case of that, all things probably weren't equal. Dallas was offering players that were going to help a team try to win that season. So Mm -hmm. that's that. I do think, though, Mike, that the Lakers have been viewed, particularly through the lens of the after the Russ acquisition and maybe even before that, dating back to the AD acquisition as a team that is desperate to do the thing that it wants to do. And that's a label that I think they've had trouble shaking in what whether it's actually in negotiations or just the general view of the franchise that you are operating on a ticking clock that ticking clock just 
his name is LeBron James. And how many seasons left do you have of this dude? And this dude wants to win. He came here alone. That goes all the way back to that idea, right, of building a championship contender around who is now the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. Congrats to LeBron again. And so I think that the Lakers have had to navigate that sort of trade environment, whereas other teams don't have to deal with that. And so, Pete, to speak to your point, that's one of the reasons why it's like Mike is on our pod, but he's telling us, hey, I'm kind of not with you because Russ Mm. is that one card and then combined with the Lakers reputation or what what they're perceived, the the perceived idea of the- That's the thing though, it's a perception. It didn't actually play out that way. Well, so so here, let me me try to approach this a different way. We, if you go back and listen to our pods in the preseason, we had the same exact discussion, but just didn't say the name Russell Westbrook. And I think my point at the time, and perhaps somebody can fact check me, uh, I'm welcome on that. I, I, I was kind of like at the trade deadline, then all of a sudden the expiring contract right. becomes an expiring contract in, in a sense. And that's the time to do it without giving up both picks. Right. And guess what? Right. Because it's so much in a team that's, and it's probably going to be Utah, but it could be somebody else. It could be Charlotte. It could be whoever, a team that is just like, we have contracts for guys that we don't necessarily want moving forward. And that's where it worked also for Minnesota because like they're fine with Conley being on the books for next year. They, they knew that they, right. Right. Well, let's see. I don't want to, I know Minnesota stuff, so I got to be careful about what I (laughs) say there, but you know, you have to imagine that, that Russell and his reputation had talked to Minnesota about what their future plans were. Right. And and whether or not because he's open for an extension and who knows, the Lakers could be discussing something like that with him um, mm-hmm. about about what that could look like is part of the motivation to make the trade. So that was sort of my point that therefore Russ was a negative asset at that number for the season that was going to cost a pick to move. And then another pick if you wanted players back in the offseason, which is why I think you enter the season, even with the unbalanced roster to keep him on. But if you can get to the trade deadline and unfortunately for the Lakers, their record is not what you would hope it right. would be. Um, at, we paid a at price. The deadline and that, yeah. That, yeah, exactly. And so, so that was part of the, and, and not that Russ didn't contribute at all. Uh, he, he, he got better on defense this year. I thought Darvin optimized him in certain ways, but you know, there, there were a lot of games where, where we all, we all watched. Okay. We all watched what happened uh, there. But so now that's kind of what I'm saying. Like at this point, Pete, the way that you're describing the trade is correct. Like the first is going out, but it's sort of serving both purposes. And it, and that's, so it's not like, it's not going to cost you right. like it did. It, it, there was the pick going out with Westbrook to Washington. Now it's another pick. Um, but since the salary was such, you were able to absorb some players mm-hmm. that weren't part of the future plans, but in this case are still potentially positive players. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a win-win right yep. in that sense, which I think was not possible early in the season. So all of that to me adds up Mike to the idea that it was the right thing to do long-term to wait. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> it's, this is the, this is sort of like the yes and no part. And maybe I'll, I'll let, I'll For let sure. Darius jump in on that because <laughs> the no part would be, well, if you, if there are certain players that you could get and in that trade was made, where would the Lakers be? Would they be the five seed right now? I don't know. Sure. It's, it's so easy to say that too. And then we'll, well, okay. Well, if Anthony Davis doesn't miss five and a half weeks, Right. Then where are the Lakers? I don't know. But my guess is that I'll give them at least four more wins, you know, or whatever you want to do. Five more wins. So it's just a it's so difficult to go back and relitigate that. Uh, But but it it was not going to be possible without giving up both first round picks. And I do think it's significant that the Lakers still have that second first round pick. I I don't know what the appetite is in the final day here in, in not much time. And what players are available and all that, it, it, I guess it would probably surprise me. And but that's a whole that's a whole nother thing. So I never thought that the players that were potentially coming back, which now we see three of the players that it could have been, even if you substitute Conley for um, for D'Lo, for D'Lo. But is that worth two first? Uh, no. You know, right. even if you're going to have to fight your way up. And I guess on the flip side of the standings thing is now I, I told Darius to jump in and then just kept talking um, for a minute. It's the whole standings. It's the whole standings thing that the Lakers are still in the mix because Utah as a potential dropper now, right? And you're you're essentially looking at you know Portland, OKC, and Minnesota. Who is we'll see. I think this this trade probably helps them too, but that's no guarantee. And and so it's it does a lot of different things. And at least the Lakers now have a chance. They've got 25 plus games. 
uh, to to have a roster that makes a little bit more sense if you could get one more big wing or at least play you know Rui and Hachimura. And we got Vanderbilt seven more. guards, um, Mike. Yeah, and and I in seven guards can't play. Um, you know, it, for me, but that's anyway. Now I'd love to hear Darius on on what I initially teed you up on before trying to add a little bit more context. No, I just think everything that you're saying there, Mike, is super important, and I also think that. The machinations around a trade are always, and this is one of the reasons why when we were super active writing at Forum Blue and Gold, one of the things that we didn't do was do trade speculation posts because every fan, and I'm one of them, you guys know this, I, how many screenshots have I sent you guys over the past eight months, right? So I, I am an aficionado of the trade machine, but trade machine is fun banter and it's great to try to build something out. But in the big picture, you actually need willing partners to make a trade. And in this case, mm-hmm. Minnesota reportedly, and this is just stuff that I hear from all these podcasts that I listen to from national guys who were plugged in. Minnesota, would I think, would have been open to doing a contract extension with D'Angelo Russell. But extensions always come down to the number that we want you at. And the player right. always has their own idea about what number that they want to be at. And so... In making this specific trade, Minnesota got a floor general type of point guard, which I think that they think that they need, who is under contract for one more season, which gives them a little bit of cushion in order to be like, all right, we actually have a guy on our books and that's important to us. With that, the player that we're giving up is better than the dude that we're getting. So we would like Mm. draft compensation for that. And Mike, they ended up getting a couple of second round picks in order to sort of like satiate them in that way. For sure. I first of all, I'm I'm happy to go a little longer because of all the stuff we have to unpack. But I know we usually try to keep under a certain time. So but I want to get a question off to you guys because I'm, I'm curious. Initial rotation thoughts, who starts, who plays where? I know we don't have the full diagram all drawn out yet. We'll see if anything else happens. But I, I do I do want to know what each of you think um, of of how this could play out in the first game that everyone would be available, which my guess would be golden State. Um, it, it seems like it seems hard that, you know, the folks traded for, they're not gonna be able to fly out until probably tomorrow morning. And then the physical and all that, you know, we saw how that happened with Hachimura. So that would be my guess, but uh, Pete, so golden state Darius and I'll be there. Oh, who are we watching play and where? Oh, that's awesome. You guys are going to watch the freaking first game of the next era of the Lakers together. That's awesome. I We're love gonna have that. some soup together. Have some soup. And uh, <laughs> have some, some of the Burmese food. Yes, the, the Burmese food sounds like y'all are building <laughs> out a Burmese menu. Food you know? on Friday night. <laughs> yep. I got a couple Northwestern friends in the Bay. Maybe meet for some Burmese food. We'll see if Darius wants the Street Fighter Challenge or not. And then we'll uh, we'll get to the game and we'll we'll watch the rotation that Pete is planning out right now. Hey, that's that's beautiful. So I'm you know I'm half a bottle deep in wine right now. I have not done the extensive lists that I always send to you guys. I would say that Dennis and Devo start together in the backcourt. Um, we'll see, though. Like one of the things that we don't talk about enough are defensive positions, of which your lead point of attack defender is a real main one, and it's way more for coaches than it is for guys like us on podcast. Like to Vogel, this was a very important thing, and that's one of the reasons that Avery Bradley got as much trust as he did on this team it's Patrick Beverly and in both cases we're like oh this dude is playing more than we wish he did but to the coaches he's that lead like point of attack defender and Dennis has done that for sure but it's Dennis is much more of a one positional defender and he does it well but it's not something where you're really asking hey Dennis go guard whoever the best guard is in the backcourt and and so I'm curious to see what direction we go with that. I would love though, like Delo is a little bit bigger and there are benefits to that on both ends of the floor, like the way he puts guys in jail. I think in the next pod, Mike, we're going to, I think, do more of a breakdown of Delo's game in particular, but that, uh, that ability to use some big guard skills at le- at least one of the spots is going to be super helpful. And so, yeah, I, I'd say, you know, backcourt of, of Dennis and Delo. The point Darius made on the last pod about Rui being more of a four than a three, I think is perhaps applicable to Vanderbilt as well. And so that's one of the things you were saying, Mike, about like, yeah, we could really use that wing. Yeah, Vandy Vandy's for sure more of a four. Right. 
Yeah, he's some he's kind of like a classic four, like a nineties yes. four uh, yes. in a way. And so the three spot, like Troy Brown has done that fine when he has done it. Um, I would I would love Troy Brown to be the backup to a better player that's of that ilk. But uh but yeah, man, I I think that with Vanderbilt in the mix too, I think the whole dreams of sizing up become a lot more uh realistic. And I'm super curious to see how we approach this, the five spot Vanderbilt. Mike, you had brought up a great point about in the playoffs. So knock on wood if that, that we make it in the playoffs. If we go to LeBron at the five as 80s backup, I think a guy like Vanderbilt becomes super important in those LeBron at the five lineups. And so those are some of my early preliminary thoughts before we get real deep into that pod. Where are you at on that D? Well, there's what I would do. And then there's the realities of the world. And the fact that <laughs> this is a trade that happened midseason and there are guys already who have established roles and how you integrate that as the head coach mm-hmm. of the team. Mm-hmm. So those are two different scenarios, right? With a full training camp and what you do from the beginning, if the team that you see today, barring a different deal, right? Let's say there are actually seven guards. In an ideal world, I might actually start Austin and D'Lo and then I would probably go like oh, – like braun and i would probably start like braun Rui, and ad or braun vanderbilt and and ad and i would basically just try to mash people with a power front court with a bunch of athleticism and then have skill guards and that would be what i would do and then i would then dennis would come off the bench he'd probably be my first sub he might come in for austin he would play some with delo right like there but yeah, that would be the direction that I would go. I think for this specific team and the fact that Dennis and Darwin have such a rapport and the point of attack defense is super important. I do think Dennis and D'Lo and then LeBron, Rui and AD is probably your best bet. Like that's probably the best bet, right? And then that means Bev comes off the bench and... The interesting thing is, is that the Lakers now, like if they start that group, both their point guards start. And so Mm. your first sub needs to be for one of those guys. Right. And this may also be a formation, Mike, where LeBron then needs to take on more of a ball handling duty um, than he has been where Russ got a lot of those units right this is another thing that darvin's gonna have to figure out which i'm very interested in in hearing just i'd love for someone to ask him the question that when russell westbrook was on the team he he mentioned that he thought it was important these are darvin's words i'm pretty sure he used the words important that he thought it was important to sort of give russ his own unit that's what he's always done run this led to times where neither lebron nor ad were on the court and Russell Westbrook was the only sort of like star that was in the game. And those units were like a minus 15 net rating. Yeah. Well, in games that all three of them played, they were a minus 24. Mm. Right now, that wasn't a lot of minutes that that was the case. I think it was 80 something minutes. Right. Where all three of them, all three were available in the same game. And LeBron and AD sat while Russ was on the court. I think they were a minus 24 in 80 something minutes. You know, it's, I'm just laughing over here because I'm thinking we need we need like six podcasts really do. in the next yeah. two days. You know what I mean? There's so much <laughs> stuff to get through. And I'm, I'm kind of I'm hoping that because you guys, you know, before I came on the pod, you guys helped me. Uh, get through just some of the the basketball mental exercises of all this, and you know hopefully we can do some of that by trying to figure out a, essentially a new team. I I just I did notice that neither of you mentioned Beasley uh, in a <laughs> prominent position. So as I'm going through the rotation here, you're going to have to leave one of either Beasley, Troy Brown, Lonnie Walker, like Max Christie, who was getting who was playing some some. Good basketball, but he's obviously outside of the picture for now as the rookie. And I'm just let me trying to kind of go with what Darius was saying by there's one I would do. And then there's kind of what we've seen that Darvin Ham likes to do. And I still wonder if Darvin moves Patrick Beverly out of the starting lineup, especially if it's next to D'Lo with whom he has uh, some chemistry and had a fit with um, in Minnesota. 
And that is just interesting to me as, as to what Darwin might do. And then, so that, so just putting that in one box, then in the front court, I initially, um, as somebody that watches the wolves a lot and this year has watched Utah a pretty good amount. Like I like the idea of Vanderbilt just starting, um, next to LeBron and AD and giving, he's the type of guy to me that just, that just in a different way from Hachimura did it because Hachimura, the first couple of games he played, his getting up and down and sprinting the floor. That was something that was a lift, but I think now that he's settled in a little bit, that there's an energy difference in the way, even how Pete described Hachimura as being a little bit more high center of gravity today. Like Vanderbilt is just out there oh, yeah. banging around uh, and, and just his athleticism. And to me, that's a really nice fit next to LeBron and AD, especially throughout a regular season. Uh, so that would be kind of my initial thing that I would want to see. And so then if that's D'Lo, Beverly, LeBron, Vandy, AD, then all of a sudden off the bench, it's like, well, you got Schroeder and Reeves and Beasley and Hachimura, and then take your pick between Gabriel and TB. I might start with Gabriel in that case. And that leaves out of the rotation, Brown, Thomas Bryant, Max Christie, and Lonnie Walker. And Brown to me is the toughest. I really liked how he was playing. I can make a good argument for him to get the backup minutes or even start in, you know, over Beverly. Like it's, it's, uh, it's it's going to take some time to work through, but those were my initial thoughts. I love that you brought up the fact that Beasley was not brought up by Darius and I. I'm, and maybe this is an overcorrection on my end, but one of my least favorite parts about how the front office has put the team together over the last few years is I think we've gravitated toward more empty calories guards. I call these guys, that, that's what I call these guys, right? Empty calories guards that, that will score for you to some degree, but don't provide much else. And this is Ben McLemore and Kendrick Nunn and Lonnie Walker and Malik Beasley falls into that to a degree as well. But the difference between at least two of those guys, D, is that he's a legit shooter. So Beasley's a guy that I think has value. He's not really an off-screen kind of guy. He's a spot-up shooter more than a like, we're going to run a wide pin down and you're going to be great knocking this down on the run uh, type of three. But he is like, that. that's one thing that as we get into breaking this down on, on the floor, like, him and D'Lo are two of the best shooters on the team. And that just totally changes really the equation that we're working with. It totally does. And if I could just put a bow on, on all of this, the Lakers traded one rotation player for three. Someone's going to have to sit. Not from the new guys either, necessarily. Someone's going to have to sit. Yeah, that, that's a good summary. Who of it. was yeah. in the rotation yeah. before. They traded one rotation player for three. Right. And so you could say D'Lo is going to get Russ's minutes or whatever. Russ plays 20 something minutes a game. Great. Fine. All right. Well, Vanderbilt, like Lakers have only been playing one other big. They've been playing and Thomas Bryant's been playing. Now that AD's back, Thomas Bryant's been getting two shifts a game. If that, he may not even get a second shift. Right. And so it's back to the drawing board a little bit for Darvin. And I am not envious of him. I've looked at a lot of his decisions with a more critical eye as the season has gone on mm -hmm. and on and on, because I think you need to learn your team more as the season gets longer. And there are times where I think Darwin has still been banging his head against the wall on certain things, playing multiple guard lineups, not going back to his energy bigs, like um, the sort of defensive value of your front court players and, and how much that matters and a bunch of things where like, but I get it. He's been coaching an imperfect team with ill-fitting parts and has dealt with a boatload of injuries and getting the right players available at the right time just hasn't been a thing. But his front office is in the process of remaking this roster and he's going to have a new team going into Saturday's game and he's going to have a new team that's even available in terms of guys who were mm -hmm. there for him um, against the Bucks on Thursday night. And the shift is coming and he's going to have to be the leader of the shift. The players are going to go out there and they're going to play, but Darwin's going to have to be the leader of, of all of this. And so we'll have plenty of time to talk about Beasley. Beasley and Lonnie are replicative. They're duplicative. Only one of them can play. I'm just saying that right now. Only one yep. of those dudes can play. And honestly, I think that 
if I were advising the front office, I would say you might be looking to trade one of these guys in order to reduce the number of guards that are on the roster because seven is too many, six is too many. But if one of the six is Max Christie, well, he's a second round rookie who has done well in his minutes, but he does not need to play. The other six guys mm-hmm. need to play. They are NBA level rotation players. They deserve to be in the NBA playing minutes for a they real do, NBA but you can't team. play six guards. No, that's my point. That's the point that, that I'm making. And so you are doing a disservice to your roster. By housing all of them mm-hmm. because you are purposefully sowing the seeds of dissent. And no one in a contract year, especially, all these dudes are in contract years. You are you are setting them up to be unhappy in a role. And if there's one thing I know about the Lakers, and if there's one thing I know about Rob, based off of what he said, is he values players' livelihoods. Yep. He wants them to have an opportunity. He was an agent. No one knows this more yep. than Rob Palinka. And so, like, he, I, I do not think he's going to do any of these guys dirty. I think he's going to want to put guys in positions to succeed. And he's added real talent to this roster. Kudos to him. But now it's time. There's still a little bit of work to do, in my opinion. And that's sort of where I'm at as we record the night of a blockbuster for the Lakers blockbuster trade. What a night. Um, yeah, we're moving on to whatever we are going to be next. It's a, my favorite novella, my favorite story to follow it with a plot twist. We're going to talk soon about our uh, get more in depth about our guy Dilo. We've got a game tomorrow. We're going to uh, have on Friday – the great Joey Ramirez, who we referred to earlier, can help us break down LeBron reaching his scoring record. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.